give that shit up, you're going to concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Welcome to this week's edition of a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Bossy and Paul. This is the coaching podcast with a difference. We watch a movie, it might help if you watch it too, we get a special guest on, and we discuss the coaching from the movie and how it relates to our own experiences. So whether you're in the car, out for a run or a walk, or just using us to cancel out the noise from the kids in the background, we hope you enjoy. Right, so uh, welcome everybody to this week's episode, and we're joined with Paul and Mossy as always. Welcome lads. Hi guys. And I'd like to say we got Mr. Stephen Levin with us as well. So Stephen, thanks very much for your time. No bother. Uh, so look, first of all, Steve, you might just give a quick background on yourself and I suppose your coaching journey. Well, I played football for Limerick for uh, 13 years, uh, from I think it was 2001 to 2013. And um, like it would have gone from Liam Kearns, who trained us at the start, to Donny Buckley then and Keane O'Neill, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you kind of saw the evolution of coaching through, through those lads. And pretty soon after I retired then, uh, Limerick set up a football academy and Paul Knurk was heading that. And to be fair to Paul, Paul played football for Limerick as well. So while he was playing football for Limerick, he was training Clare at the time. I think it was back around uh, the closest time they won the All-Ireland there. He trained them for two years. So he was over the academy and I trained there for two years. And what you do in the academy is, you probably know the same, you'd send in your sessions to Paul and he'd always give you feedback. And about two years into the academy, Paul was doing a, um, a PhD on uh, game-based coaching uh, to see does it improve decision-making amongst the players. And he asked us to take part in that with the under-15 squad that we were involved with. So we took part in that and um, we, with a few workshops, workshops on game design, workshops on questioning, et cetera, et cetera. And the format of a true games-based session. So that's really where it took off. And myself and Dave just felt that not many people had access to this kind of information. And we saw Colm Nally's sites and we thought he was doing very well for himself. And I, I think Kieran Dealey, and we just said like, our stuff was kind of different to theirs, we thought. And it'd be no harm to have another kind of um, uh, set of ideas out there. And that's when we set up just Games Since Coaching. And the initial idea was just to, to, to get enough followers on Twitter just to get a book out. But then the, the following kind of grew a lot, thanks to you, Colin, because like you, you, you gave us a great plug. And then we just said we're trying to do a, a website to kind of make resources available from there. Um, like and through the club as well, I've been coaching from any age, under 12 all the way up. So an, a lot, an awful lot of underage. I uh, did the Limerick Minor Hurling last year. I'm doing UL Sigerson this year. Or not Limerick Minor Hurling, Limerick Minor Football two years ago. And UL Sigerson this year. So it's, yeah, very enjoyable. That's about it. Excellent. And you, the game, since you just give us a quick background on that, Dean, like your, yourself and the brothers involved. Yeah, that's myself. My two brothers uh, decided to eventually set up set up the website. Um, and like I suppose you'd see it yourselves, but I see it. Uh, I see it in a few clubs that we've gone to. That most I would say eighty to eighty five percent of people who coach, I think, coach the way they were coached when they were younger. And it's kind of what you know, you know. And like to me, there's a massive opportunity there to. Uh, in, in particular player retention just to make underage training far more enjoyable uh, for all kids girls and boys and that's why that's one of the main reasons we set up the, the website is just that you know there's there's a there's a not saying well 
for us, we think it's a better way. Other people mightn't agree, but we just think there's a better way of making training more enjoyable and not making it about hurling and football, but making it about the kids and developing the kids in a holistic way, kind of. Um, that would be the huge part for the underage. And then for the senior part, we just felt that there's another there's another way of doing things as well if you want to kind of impart knowledge on the players. And, you know, just that, that was kind of the reason behind the website. And, like, I suppose I know with, with myself, with coaching the game, like, large part of it is the exact same thing you just said of, like, trying to make coaches better educated so that the kids have a better experience. And, like, I know the, the two lads had spent time as GPOs and even Paul with the third, edu- third level education, you know, it's, I suppose it's a, uh, it, it's it's not it's not an easy thing to do to be able to kind of change that mindset of um i'd see i'd see it as one of the great difficulties as a coach educator to let's say the person that doesn't want to change and you might do that workshop and you might show them how to do it and it's just not nah, they still just revert to type the the safe i don't know is it the safety net or is it like i don't know let's see like you've, you've all been involved in clubs where it's the same thing like you know you know there's some coaches are sort it's of prob- stuck in their ways. How do we? It, it's probably uh, uh, bel- they're not a hundred percent behind it, and it's if it's not going well at the start, they're not going to go fully for it, and they just go back to what they know and what they know from when they were getting coached as a as a child or a teenager or as an adult, and they just revert back to that. And it might be also cases that, especially with the older guys and the older girls, if they haven't been exposed to game-based training that they might think what is this and like don't they say about when Nicky uh Nicky Whelan was over Dublin back in 95 he tried to introduce a lot of game-based training and they just didn't buy into it like they won their All-Ireland in 95 he came in after that and they just didn't buy into it because they thought what is this and he was ahead of his time basically mm-hmm. and I think that is the case you just have to go with it and believe in it and I think you should be exposed to it as best you can say and watch people practice it like like your your website there Stephen is a fantastic uh, resource there and some stuff you have up there Colin as well and if, if people just get to know what it's about I think they'll buy into it and they'll really start to enjoy it and the players will definitely benefit from it like one, one of the things with, with, with coaches there and doing what was done with them is just the psychological safety of it of kind of not exposing themselves to making mistakes because like if you do go into a games-based coaching model of how you want to go about things you have to be tuned into every scenario you're dealing with in training because every single every single time a boy or a girl or a man or a woman is on the ball it's an opportunity for learning and it's also an opportunity for learning when they're not on the ball. So you need to, you can be, you can be asked questions if you're doing a games-based approach. If you haven't got the answers, you can look foolish. So um, like it, it does, it does take, it does take a bit for people who aren't as confident, aren't as au fait with the, the nuances of the game to, to kind of take that approach. So I wouldn't necessarily be giving out about say new coaches who, who don't go down that line because it is it, it's it's exposing yourself and it's more chaotic and it's not as safe and people say sure he doesn't know what he's doing yeah i would also say i think there's an awful misconception out there about games based you know with a lot of coaches in that they think a lot of them when they hear games based that you don't do any skills and that it's 
you know, it's only games and that they're not skillful enough yet to play the games. And like, that's what I find is, is a serious lack of kind of understanding of actually what games space is for our age, like, you know, um, and there's, as you said, I do think the fear is a huge thing about it. But I'd also say that a lot of people like would approach us and like, I don't think there's any point going to a club and doing one presentation of games based. I would honestly feel that if you want to implement change, you nearly go four or five times, you know, and you let them design sessions, you let them run sessions. It's kind of the way Paul does it with the academy kind of, you know, is that he empowers you like, but and it's just subtle feedback every time, you know, he's, he's, he's a master at that. Like, and I think that's nearly the way a club should kind of try and run it. It's, you know, go for it, get feedback, go for it again, get feedback, go for it again, and just kind of evolve that way. I think that you like the coach has to have a bit of cop on as well in terms of your game based scenarios and game based coaching. Is that like if something isn't working, like change it, like adapt it. Like, say, if you're doing a hand passing exercise with say under sixes and under sevens in a game based scenario, or whatever age it was, and it's not working, it's breaking down, like don't get too bogged down in the skill of the hand pass. Like, you break down, okay, now start throwing, and you just throw it and get that into now they're getting the movement, they're getting their catching, they're getting, you know, things aren't breaking down, the kids are getting more confident. Then you can introduce it slowly. And so you don't just, you know, game based stuff, you can change things around and you can change things around fairly quickly. And yeah. be, be willing to let things not fail, but not work out the way you hoped it to work out. And don't be too downhearted about it and just just change things and adapt things and it really works out even ask even ask your i was gonna say pupils there ask your uh the children or the, whoever you're training what can we change different what can we make it what do you think of this game is there anything we can improve on and ask them and question get them to uh question you basically i think myself yeah extra mafia i think uh, like i think that's a large part but i think one of the other misconceptions as well out there with games based coaching is people think a game is a match and like I remember being at a workshop with um, Ed Collin was was doing something with our, with our development squad coach was actually in Cork about five or six years ago and this there was one coach in particular who would be a fairly well established coach in Cork and he couldn't get around this idea of we can't just keep playing a match and a match and a match and Ed was trying to explain to him no no like a game isn't a match a game is is a, a tiny part of a match that we make into a part of an activity um so it was just like even and i said as i said that was an educated coach that was a, a coach educator like was couldn't get their head around that kind of thing like so um i think it's just it's just education but i i think the the challenge is actually educating the person who mightn't be wanting to be educated the, the unwilling coach the coach who's there because his kids are playing and the club kind of dragged him in to be the coach um and a lot of the time, like it's those those people are, are probably look, they're probably very busy and everything else they do in their life. And this is probably a small bit of a asking to go down and do a couple of workshops with you might be an inconvenience beyond what they're willing to do, you know. Um it's interesting. I'd often see it column like as like if you're gonna go training, like you're you're investing in your child, is what I always think. Like, you know, I think like if just I don't think people realize that like it's your child benefits, you know. And like, if you put in the time, it's your child will be the benefactor of all that effort that you put in. Like, you know, it's their benefit. Like, you know, whereas if you go and just look, this is, it's a chore for me. It's your actually, it's actually your child who loses out. Like, you know, that's the way I'd look at it. You know, is is it a case where coaches they feel that if they're implementing a game based session that they're they're not like laying down a load of cones that are not 
doing a lot of fancy drills and they're not talking and then they're perceived to be from the outsiders looking in the parents and she's what's this guy doing he's just throwing a ball up or they're just throwing a, slit, a couple of slitters in and they're not up to much basically and it's more of a for show these cones and all these fancy drills etc rather than actually the benefit of the child good question I, I, I don't know is the answer to that I think I agree with your first one that you made it's, mm. I just think coaches we're all creatures of habit like we go back to what we're comfortable doing like you know and I think an awful lot of coaches now they just well there's a there's a fair amount of education out there I, I, I don't know have they they have the time or uh, or the desire to, to to really look into something because it does take a lot of effort because you have to think about the game an awful lot like you have to think about as you just said like well what if the, the the game i'm playing doesn't work or how can i differentiate it how can i make it easier okay it's it's too easy for them how can i make it more challenging i've got a disruptive you know there's a ton of stuff you have to think about like you know and that requires time i think it's like practice like you know you really have to, a lot of reflection and i suppose that's a big thing as well uh, right like we have, we're kind of deep into it already and we haven't mentioned uh, our, our show yet um, what did you pick this week and why did you choose it I picked uh, the, the the NFL America's game and it was a series called The Missing Rings and and this uh, resonates strongly with me the Buffalo Bills uh, 1990 Missing Rings and the reason it resonates so strongly with me is because I lost four months to finals with Limerick in football uh, five well we drew one and last four we'll say and you know yourself like if, if, you, if you're playing or whatever you're always looking for some um, bit of motivation uh, or something that you can relate to just to, I don't know to give, give you energy to go back again another year and after I saw that one I just you know that really resonated strongly with me I loved Marv, Le- Marv Levy I loved his way I loved the the, the poems he used. I loved his manner of speaking. And uh, I just, yeah, a real, a real, yeah. I could really relate to their, to their story. So after the fourth Munster final loss, you said, right, that's it. We're home <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah, the, things went there. What was that? That was 2000, I think it was 2010, maybe it was. I don't know. We got to the All-Ireland quarterfinal the following year then, I think. And then that was it then. And then that was <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love the idea of resilience. Like, I think that's, uh, something that is lost in 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 the conversation about mental health is the idea of resilience. You know about bouncing back, about uh, in in you know in, in, in what's embracing kind of the struggle and getting back up again and trying hard. Like you know, not that like you know in the grand scheme of things, losing monster finals and stuff like it's you know obviously you're upset at the time, but you know it wouldn't define you at all. At all. I rarely think about it now. Like, but I just love the idea of being resilient and the lesson that it can teach everybody. Like, I just think you never hear about that because it's not, um, it's not in fashion now. It's more, more fashionable nearly to talk about the difficulties and the, the struggles rather than, you know, resilience and how, how valuable a characteristic that is. So that's why I love that story. Like they, they kept coming back, you know, when no one wanted to, wanted them to, they still made it back. You know, they got hammered by Dallas, two years, Washington Redskins flake them, but they still kept coming back. I, I love that, like, you know. Is that a societal thing, do you think, Steve, the, the way that, like, as I said, it's not embraced, the resilience is kind of, like, as I said, I know, like, as, as your, your, your full-time teacher, principal, like, you know, how, are you yeah. seeing changes in the last 10 or 15 years in that? Um, yeah, I... I, I I just think sometimes things are 
Iron Vogue, like, uh, you know, and like, just, it's not making little of it because I do think there are, and it's fantastic, the awareness that's around, you know, issues that people have with mental health and thing like, things like that, you know. But I just don't think you ever hear from the other side of, you know, of, of, of um, the, the idea of resilience and like, like our, it's called existentialism, like life is a struggle, like, you know, and you have to embrace it. And like some, some there are these fleeting moments within it that, you know, will, will make it worthwhile, but then it's just back to a grind and a struggle. And like, you know, if you're more accepting of that or understanding of that, it makes it a bit easier for you. And it's like, that's why that story of the Buffalo Bills just, just, like I never forget it. Like, and I'd often myself and Paranen would always talk about that. You know, the Buffalo Bills. You know, um. But yeah, I, I just feel, t- especially with social media and stuff, it's what's in vogue. It's okay. This is the the hit topic now. Let's let's talk about that and bring it up and constantly talk about. It. And I nearly feel because I was actually Morgan Freeman said a great one about race. There one time he said the best way to stop racism is just to stop talking about it. You know, sometimes I feel when people constantly bring up these things you know, it nearly brings more problems than, than, than it's um, supposed trying to help, like, you know, and it's, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is a societal thing. I don't know. I just feel the message of resilience is kind of lost amongst, amongst all that talk kind of, you know? Uh, no, like, uh, it is interesting, like, as, like, what you're talking about is one thing that I actually took note of in the last, the last couple of years is um, back when we were in secondary school, I, we're all close enough in the age, um, drugs was a really big topic and yeah. I remember going to talks where there was a, a, a reformed drug addict basically giving his story about how life became so so bad this is what happens and like it, it's it's evolved nowhere I don't think kids these days are getting that message about drugs being as bad as we got it mm-hmm. and I think mental health is the, is the current um no, I'm not saying I'm not saying mental health is bad or uh, talking about it or anything like that. But I'm just saying the messages that are coming um, to to the youth of today is very much it evolves over time. Like I look as I said, maybe it evolves because we're getting more knowledgeable and stuff, um, and maybe drugs weren't all that bad. Well, maybe, maybe they are. But you know, it's just the message that gets put out to to the youth is it kind of changes over time. Um, and as I said, like I don't know about your, yourselves, but in in secondary school, like drugs was the was a big, the big topic back in our time, yeah. from what I can recall. What what like what I I give you an example, all right, for 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 the pandemic, you know, like kids are amazing. Like I feel they're hardwired for the struggle, and we don't even know it, you know. Like when we came back after the pandemic, I'm sorry, now as we've gone off topic here, but when we came back after the pandemic the first time. It was just unbelievable. Like, you know, all of, all of us had worries about it. You know, we were all fretting about everything. They just, our boys just went, it was like they were never away. Like they were back two days and it was like they were never away. They were back chatting, back out playing. It was incredible to see the resilience of them. Like, you know, I think sometimes if you if you let them off, kids, they, they nearly deal with everything. They're so resilient if you give them a chance. Like, and that was very evident to me when our boys came back to school after the, the first lockdown is within two or three days. It was like they had never been away. It was crazy, like, you know, and they just set the tone for all of us and off we, go, off we went back into it then. But sure, look, people and human beings by their, by their nature are resilient and they're used to failing and failing constantly. Like, if you look at a kid there somewhere between nine months and 15 months and they start learning to try and walk, mm. 
all they do is fail, 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 fail until they eventually get it. And then they might have a few more stumbles, but they're moving forward. And like, I, I think, and, and look, some of it's down to insurance and some of it's down to other bits and pieces and like, like let them off and let them fail and let them get a bit of hardship but if it's done within the right environment that it's supervised failure then be grand yeah I, th- there's a funny one there actually when we were doing the game based when Paul was doing a workshop and I forget the name of the man now but uh, part of it was free play and how you learn in the environment and he, he showed a uh, a playground from the 1920s like and you wouldn't let uh, a gymnast up in the playground it was so high and it was so but there was loads of people up there no problem and it was just free play you know and then if you compare it today when you you know it's uh, like still some playgrounds are grand and stuff like which it's a much safer environment for kids there's probably far more supervisions we don't we don't let them off to explore as much as we'd like to and his point was like that's what a game is like you have to let players explore as opposed to putting them in a structured, condi- you know, drill-based environment where they're not really exploring, they're just doing what you're asking them to do. And his point was games give you that that vessel kind of to let them explore, make mistakes and learn, make mistakes and learn. And obviously you facilitate it through questioning and stuff like that. I, I don't want to make light of mental health because obviously, yeah. you know, it, it is no, an issue no. and there's fantastic awareness about it, but I feel the other side then gets lost when it's constant talk about it, you know? Yeah. No, I understand. Um, and it's interesting the way you're talking about the kids and their failure and stuff like that. And it's the same in the pitch when they're training. Like, they, like I, I know one of the things we talk about at times is when in a nursery with the, the five, six, sevens, like the first time a child kicks the ball over the bar at training is a huge success. But they probably try a thousand times before they get there. Um, and I suppose the, the game-based coaching kind of lends itself to that place where there's going to be failure and and uh, I don't know who uses it says it all the time but it's not a loss it's a it's a learning experience and it's game space coaching really does kind of embrace that to to a reason like it not yeah definitely definitely because that's how you learn you know you, you learn by failing like and then like as coaches like as as Massey just said a while ago like if the session is a disaster well how do you how do you learn you learn by the next day, I won't, okay, well, I need to do this. And you reflect and you learn, you know, that's that's the idea behind it, like. So go on, talk to us about, about Mr. Marv Levy. Like, uh, it it came up in one of our recent episodes with, with Dave Sharkey about teaming. And just as I was watching it, I know, lads, it resonated with you a small bit, but he was talking about wars and battles mm-hmm. and stuff like that and how that kind of relates. And like Dave mentioned it, like a lot of people are doing teaming without realising they're doing it or without having a structure to it. But like he was kind of tipping on that kind of telling a story as a way of creating a bond and a connection between the group. And he seemed to be really good at that. Yeah, they, like I remember what Daryl Talley, the, the linebacker, was like, if there's aliens landed on Earth, you'd send you'd send Marv Levy to communicate with them, like because he was such a good communicator, like you know. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He like he was didn't he 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 loved history and he he had a master's in was it English history from yeah. I don't know, was it Harvard or something like that. And his stories are amazing, like the one about the commander, one more river to cross. And then I love the other one that he said his father and the unit in First World War, like, and they were shattered and tired and exhausted. Okay, we're going to attack him. And then they were like, no, no. And he was like, look, 
and it's too tough for them. It's just right for us, you know. And yeah. then the team kind of absorbed that that personality, you know, and they took it on a step further, like, you know, throughout the whole kind of season, like, you know, and you meant Daryl Talley was a great person for like, you know, when it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. I love that. Like, came across as all their last minute victories then as well, like when they're, when they're down and behind and like, they just, I suppose that team and thing we mentioned earlier, Colin from a previous episode, like it probably resonated with them that the game isn't over and just keep battling and keep battling you you might get your rewards if you just keep hanging in there. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I thought Marv was brilliant. I thought, so I thought he was a brilliant character. I thought the three lads in the Marv, Jim Kelly and, uh, and Tally, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, Tally. Right. I thought there were, there were three brilliant and different characters and uh, like it's it's a brilliant show to watch. It's about 45 minutes long and you'll find it on YouTube. Uh, I'm sure Colin will stick up the link. Um, just watch it. You'll get something from it. It's, um, it's highly yeah. enjoyable. I mean, it, it would be, I think, an amazing avenue for the GA to go down is interview past teams like and kind of go through. Now, the Americans are unbelievable for the footage that they can get. Yeah. You know, they're incredible. They film everything like, you know. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I was thinking when I was watching. I was going like, the cameras on the sideline, they're picking up the sideline conversations and stuff like that. And I know there's not as much as that in GA with, with players and stuff like that, but we're, we're probably missing an old beat in the... In the the promotion, like I'd imagine, fucking managers would be, it'd be the last thing they'd ever allow, um, just for fear of, of loss. But like we do, we did watch the Massey's favorite favorite uh, show of all time, um, which kind of was the only close thing to it really within the GA, was it, Mass? Uh, there's been a few of them, I suppose. You had the Westmead one there as well, that's fairly good, and there was a, there's been a couple since. But uh, that year to Sunday, it was just. I think it was unique to the GA at the time, and that's I think why it captured the hearts of the country along with the beautiful football that Gala played. Um, so, so I think that was the reason behind it. But uh, it did a very good one with Kenny and Cork as well there uh, one time ago, and like TG Cahar outstanding, like you know, Lake yeah. Bayless, a brilliant, brilliant uh, production, mm-hmm. like you know, it's so good, like you know. Yeah, one one of the things there, like the three characters were massively different. Um, we'll say Jim, Daryl, and 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 Levy, and the thing that that really interested me about, and we'll say there was the, the perception and the press and the media that the team was always bickering, and I really liked how Daryl described, yeah. we'll say the team bickering. He kind of compared it to a family, and families are always at each other in, in certain ways, but they do anything for each other, in in if we'll say that family is being threatened and I, I thought that was a, a really good way and like I, I, I really thought um, I really I really thought Daryl Talley was the star of the show for, from my perspective anyway like he talked about um, like he was a real kind of a, a Scotty Pippen character and to say initially he wasn't getting getting the credit he deserved like um, and I liked the, the phrase he said of not everyone can be a star you know, and you have the few people who who get the job done and get the plaudits, etc. Um, but real teams know the the gel and the glue that that kind of holds it holds it all together. You know, and the thing about about uh, Tally as well is they all talked about the type of personality he was, where he was gregarious and full of full of excitement and could could literally do anything you know and and teams need characters like that like he i like the way um 
when the game came down to the final kick, which was missed, like he put into respect of that, well, I missed tackles during the game and someone missed catches and throws. So it didn't it didn't all rest with the kicker. Um so like I think like it shows that any game that you play, any team game that you play, it's the some of the parts really that have to add up for you to be victorious. And it's the same with a loss. Like you can't just be blame one player for an error. And I think that was um I think he came across very well, Tally. Very well. Yeah, I think I think that resonates most because I look at around like recent county finals where there's been late late drama, and one person probably takes the defeat or the result harder than they should. Yeah, and there was I don't know how many move I don't know how many game actions are there in a in a normal match. Stephen, you might have a better Paul, you might have a better idea. Um. Like just so many different things can happen from the first minute the ball is thrown in till the final whistle. And there's no one thing will influence the game or the result and, and be the be the decisive factor, I don't think. That's true, I agree with you hundred percent. Like there's no doubt about it. You know? Yeah, Colin, nothing will be the decisive factor alone. Massey was on about Maroons. And like no single action is going to define the game exactly. Um, but like as 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 Party said that a grain, a grain of rice will tip the scale, you know. Um and like I I, I over the last couple of weekends I've watched a lot of, of county finals and there's been clutch moments at the end of them, you know, and like particularly one there from from two weeks ago, Crokes were playing, Crokes were playing Jude's. We'll say the last play of the game, Jude's, Crokes were in possession of the ball and they held it for about a hundred, between about a hundred and a hundred and ten seconds until their shot was completely on and the kind of clock had run down at that stage as well. And it was it was really interesting because there was there was a phrase that Jim Kelly used in 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 this show. He talked about two minutes left. I want the ball in my hand. I want to be able to control the game, you know. And that I thought that was that was something that was really interesting and resonates with them really good teams who when they get the ball, it's it's obviously far easier to do in, in football than it is in Horland in terms of controlling the game. Um, but I, I I think there's a lot to be said for real cool cool heads and making the right decision in them clutch moments. And there's actually a really good book I would have previously read called Choke. Um, it's by, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, by Cian Bielok, um, which has really interesting stuff around, um, we'll say, and it's all aspects of life, but the, the sport ones are particularly interesting around, like we'll say, grabbing that success or that success being taken away from you in them in them certain moments, you know? Doesn't that all go back then to games based coaching there? If you're on about the holding the ball for your two minutes and getting the right fella on the ball or the, the right girl on the ball, whatever it is, the more we can do that in a game based scenario, is it more likely it's going to happen in a match rather than the perfect drill working out? And that, and that was essentially what we're talking about in game based coaches that the player gets on the ball can make the right decisions. They've gone through this, they've seen this picture in their head hundreds of times and then when they do have that chance they're able to take it yeah, well you you won't you won't have to make a decision in a drill you know exactly 
like and uh one of the ones paul always says is like repetition without repetition you know so like if you can tweak a game you can tweak a condition you can play a slightly different game but it's all based on getting the same message across but it's like in loads of different little scenarios so like it's never the same situation twice like you know i remember arsene wenger was talking about like you know there might be a thousand different ways one situation could unfold like so like game-based coaching gives you the best opportunity to explore all those scenarios as opposed to a drill where you just have to run from one corner to another you know excellent one of the other things i really liked about it um about the bills was the i suppose the player empowerment part where where they basically handed it over to to Jim, and yeah. like from a coach to be able to, I suppose, be willing to do that, um, it must be either great confidence in your players or great confidence in what they're doing in the training field, to be able to kind of encourage that, um, and allow it. Like, and again, like I, I suppose, I, I know we're drills versus game based, but like, it's it's a huge part. But like, isn't it? Um, do you know what I was reading there recently? It's a book by Owen Eastwood, is his name is uh, Belonging, it's called. And he, it was a good book now, actually, very enjoyable. I got it from uh, my brother in law, um, and I saw him on Owen Eastwood on a podcast with Stuart Lancaster. Did you ever listen to Stuart Lancaster? He had a podcast. Your man was, it was a great podcast. It was about culture and a team, you know. But he was on about, um, oh, what was the Scottish rugby coach there? Was it Vern Cotter? That might have been his name, no. Sounds sounds like a rugby coach, yeah. You know, anyway, I think he is. But he was saying, like, so he was games-based, but he said, the first year, guys, he said, I'm going to be instructional because I want to get across the idea that I have to play the game. And then as in, in the second year comes, it's going to be, you're going to have more of an input. And then the third year of this, so he called, you know, a three-year cycle, you're, you have to take full ownership of it. And your man, Owen Eastwood, kind of documented the way that happened. And it seemed to be very effect, uh, effective. He was coaching Claremont Avern before that, and talking about team, and he had a team with them. They lost two French fi- 14 finals or something in a row. And then the third year, he had a kind of, I, I forget what specific way he went about it, but they, they won it because oh, he went back to the history of Clermont de Verne and how they, this, they were, the history of Clermont de Verne was great defeats in battle. And he felt that that had s- uh, kind of snuck into the psyche of the, of the team, you know? And so to change it, they went back to that and constantly, you know, bought it up and training how to, to, to get around that and won the, the 14s. But his idea was, look, I'm going to be, it's going to be a lot of instructional training here in the first year because I need to embed the ideas. But the second year, you're going to have more of a say. And then the third year, you really have to take it over, you know? I, I kind of like that kind of process. Like, because you, you have to, I would say, if you're taking over a team, you want to get your ideas across. And then when they understand your ideas, I think then they should be in a position to challenge you if they have enough experience on it and, and question it, if, you know, what, what you're trying to implement, you know? That's very good. And how would, like, how would, I'm just thinking now, like, if you, let's say you're coaching a group of players, um, an adult group or an older group, and the players kind of have this drill-based thing as, you know, we need to do drills to work to work on our kicking or work on our catching or hurling work on our first touch. I don't know, Paul, if you've heard that a lot, but we need to work on our first touch. You know, there's just so much clout put on first touch um, with the hurley in hurling. And, a lot of players kind of think, no, look, we need to do the straight line thing where we just get a fella blasting the ball at me from 30 metres, I run out to it and control it, strike it back or strike it, whatever. Like, have you come across that with players that you need to, like, how do you get the game based? Like, as you said, introduce the ideas, get them to be able to challenge and communicate on it. 
honestly i've never come across that they all prefer they all prefer the games like i'm training my sister took over the under 12 girls football team in adair this year and i i i helped out with the train so it was once a week and like their skills wouldn't be at the level you know um would say at, at a high level but like it is they want to play the games so and their skills it was, you'd have to see it they improved so much throughout the year and these were girls who came in who'd never played football before and to see the improvement from the start it was to the end that it was massive but they wanted to play games but the games have to have a purpose you know mm-hmm. like as, as you can't play a game just playing a game you know you have to have a reason for playing the game but like i don't know who is like it makes so much more sense like you know it's i think it's called perception action coupling is what it's called you know like you have to perceive to be able to do something you know and you can't do something until you can perceive you know like so if a skill isn't a skill unless you can perform it in the context of a game kind of some people would define it as that you know now i still think there's a place for in games based like if a game is completely breaking down just go back and go back to a simple you know a drill to say if kick passing is letting you down let's just go back let's focus on kick passing for five minutes and now let's go back into the game and see does that help you know um but i would see the skill as being in the context of the game uh, but I've never, Colin, to be honest with you, no one's ever said, why aren't we doing more drills? But I, it is, you're, I know for a fact you're 100% right. It is definitely out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you just yeah, hope no, that I, they enjoy the training enough that they don't even think about drills. Like an example I always use for game-based, of introducing a skill into a game-based scenario is, say, if you're introducing, say, the near-hand tackling in Gaelic football, is that you have your small side of game, three side, four side, whatever it is, and that once the player has the ball, they must take a solo. And the reason being they must take a solo is it gives Cullum the chance to come in and get that practice, that tackle. Yeah. And automatically, naturally, the, this child learns how to do this uh, skill without you being stuck in a line or practicing an hour and hour on end where they're having a clue where they're talking and they're messing. And they just learn and you might give them a score if they can get that tackle in or if they can rip the ball away. And it works from a very early age. And I think that like, that's an example I like to give a lot of coaches. Say, Look, this is an example of a game-based scenario, how it can be used, why it can be used, and why can't we use it for other skills and activities. You're, you're dead right. Like scoring the skill is one of the most underrated things you can do. Like, you know, scoring, I, I think an overhead catch and hurling or scoring a hook. Like I've found that kids you know they, they want to score goal, but they actually don't care too much if it's the score they care about so if they attach value to a hook or as you just said mafia and you're attacking and okay tune in and if you as a coach keep the score they don't care all they care about is the score they might score anything in the goals but they're you know they're four nil up or four two up and they've won the game because they're four two you know it's amazing the effect of a scoring system can have when you're trying to encourage a skill like you know yeah, I, I really kind of emphasize that to any people in clubs i'm talking about that kids don't actually mind goals or that and this and that they actually just care about the score and if you're consistent and keep the score as a coach you know they'll really enjoy the game was it was a party butler who said about when you're playing video games i can't remember if it was a party or something like when you're playing a video game what do they have in the right hand corner of the screen is always the score yeah. And you're just always trying to beat that score. It's a yeah. target. So it's the same, it's the same with kids when you're when you're coaching them. Definitely. Even I'd I'd definitely be um I'd definitely be at fault for creating a scoring system within a game and then not following through with actually keeping it throughout the game. And like if you think about it, there should be way more emphasis put on it. So like if you put the emphasis on tackling, 
right, and be it hooking or blocking in in hoarding or in near hand tackle or a block or 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 just getting hands on in football. If you score that within the training session, them things within an actual sixty minute match happen more than scores. And if you can be the winner of the tackling within the match, it lead to the the scores coming. I Paul, so I'm the same. If you if you put the emphasis on it, you lead. Yeah, I like one of the biggest things I took from because we trained the the Limerick minor footballers like and great bunch of lads, you know. But like in fairness, to, like we played Claire and Claire pasted us, and you'd think we'd never done one session of game as best coach with the Limerick lads, you know. And just to no fault of theirs, just when on reflecting on the season, Paul, one of the big things I said to my Dave afterwards because the two of us did it and. I said, man, I was terrible this year for putting a scoring system in the game and I never kept the score, you know, because I'd get lost in all the things, overcoaching, you know, instead of just sticking to the focus of what I, I was trying to stick to. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Paul. Very good. And Massey, just, just on what you were talking about there, Massey, with the near hand tackle, like it's a nice, simple introduction to the, to the skill. But I just come back, if that does break down in the game, you just pull it aside. You might have to go walk through a real basic how to do it, how to coach it, um, the three key skills or whatever, and then back into the game. And I suppose like, you can also you can also just let the game go on and just take that player to the side and talk to them individually. And that's your chance to to individually coach them then and say, look, you get get you get in a little bit closer, keep your eye on the ball, wait for them that they have to solo the ball. You know that the ball is going to have to leave your hand at some stage, and then see can you just slap it away. And then that's you're getting your individual coaching done there and. The rest of the guys and girls are still playing because I'd say not everybody's at the same level to differentiate things in school. So why not differentiate things in our coaching? And um, it's it's like it's just something very simple, but it's it's something that can be can be done very very well. It's a really good example, Mass. Yeah, and I suppose just just on on that, like with, with the drills and code, like I suppose with with everybody, um, when the drills versus games come up, there'll be people fight either side. And it's not black and white like there's, but you'll find a shade of grey to suit the players and the group that you're working at and the individuals and how, whether you have to move that slightly darker or lighter according to the group, I think is important that knowing the group, because sometimes sometimes doing game-based stuff just might not work with, with a few people or a couple, as I said, it might just be one individual must that needs to be brought out and given the, given that, that basic step-by-step true of the skill. Um, uh, very good. Anything else on the show that you like, lads? Stephen, anything else to stood up for you on the show? Um, like I, I think I love the the innovation of them in terms of. I think it was the nineteen eighty eight Cincinnati Bengals uh, <clears throat> beat them in the AFC Championship, and the Cincinnati Bengals kind of in, invented the no huddle, and then Levy and his offensive coordinator kind of th- saw something in that and said, you know what? why don't we try that and let's open up next year's season with our two minute offense kind of, and it completely took the league by storm. Like nobody could defend it. Like, you know, they were, you know, they scored the most points that season. They absolutely cakewalked the AFC, but the courage to go and try something that had never been tried, you know, and to get the player buy-in. And as, as, as Paul said, to give it over to Jim Kelly, then who, who kind of orchestrated the whole thing, like to have that amount of trust in your players like uh, I think, yeah, he was kind of a uh, what's the word? he was probably ahead of his time, you know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I um showing my age now. That's the first Super Bowl that I can remember. Um, in terms of 
football used to be American football used to be on. It was a Monday night with Miles Duncan, and he used to be showing the highlights. And I would have been say I'd have aunties and uncles who'd be in New York, and you'd be a New York fan. And I remember uh, their quarterback Phil Sims got injured, so that was the big thing in the in say the Giants. So they had a their second string Hasselback was a Hasselback, whatever it was. I remember it, trying it, to Hassler. Hassler, Hass, Hasselbeck, Matt Hasselbeck. And he uh, he was no, the it wouldn't have been who... Matt Hasselbeck. Not Hasselbeck. Was it not? No, Hasselbeck was Tennessee Titans a bit later, I think. Okay, okay, there was, there was so I can't remember yeah, it was, yeah. whatever his name was, but he was brought in and it was. And uh, I remember trying to stay up and I said, I say, uh, did I get to the pregame show or whatever? But I remember going in in the morning to find out the score and that they, they missed that kick and watching it that evening like a kick with was it eight seconds to go. To win the Super Bowl, so it was just all of something that I'd remember. It was my first one of the first things from American football. Nice, nice memory from your teenage years, Massey. <laughs> yeah, right. I think I'd probably hold a communion the next day. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the things just uh, one of the first things that kind of caught my ear in it was his uh his love of Winston Churchill, who, who like as we've all got to know as time goes on, like that. Well, he was an iconic figure during World War II, uh, an inspirational leader and stuff like that. He was a, a deeply flawed character as well in many facets. But um, you could see, like, you could you could understand how people kind of might have read a book or something like that, or or heard a, heard a story, or he heard his speech, and that's what grabbed him. Because like I, I was using that now, and I was going, "I fucking Churchill, like what a goal of a man." But like I, I remember back when Lance Armstrong came on the scene. We knew nothing bar him being a cyclist, you know, and obviously Levy only knew Churchill as a leader. Um, and that's the part he went with. Whereas when you dig a little bit deeper in and you go, Armstrong was a fucking, he was a cheater, a drugs cheat and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's only when you find out, I suppose, other parts of the saw, I suppose, we give him the, give Levy the benefit of the doubt on that. But uh, but no, look, I thought, I thought it, was, it was a good show. I really enjoyed it. Um, and like as I said, there was a lot of innovation for for the nineteen for nineteen ninety in coaching, um, and a lot of things that are still used today. And as I said, might be slightly different phrased or whatever. Yeah. But I, I thought it was really interesting the the whole concept of it. Like and as I said, uh, I suppose the resilience of them as well is just it was it was the immense. Poem, like the poem column at the end, you know, fight yeah. on, my man said, a little I'm hurt but not yet slain. I'll just lie down and bleed a, a while, and then I'll rise and fight again. That that kept cropping up. As you know, a, a year or two later, somebody posted on the notice board, like, you know, uh, I love that poem. Like, you know, again, yeah. it's just, you know, as you said, just the resilience, you know, it's, I think, such a great lesson. Like, you know, yeah, it was brilliant. Excellent. My Here. friend Google just told me that was Jeff Hosteller. 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 Yeah, that's the one. God bless Google. If only Levy had Google back in 1990, he had a different, uh, different inspirational. inspirational. <laughs> um, here, Stephen, tell us, tell us about game since, uh, yeah, since before you go there, um, because look, as I said, I know we briefly touched on it, but um, yeah, tell us about the website, and I suppose the, I won't say the inspiration, but tell people what they can get out of it or what's the value of it uh, for signing up to it, because look, as I said, there's loads of coaching stuff out there, but it, like. Do you know what sets your thing different from from everything else? Well, like for, from the underage, right? Um, there's like there's about fifty skill games in hurling, and there's about forty or fifty skill games in football. But they're not they're not games, but they're non-linear and far more enjoyable forms of playing the game or, or the skill and learning the skill. Also, on the skills, there's cues and you pop 
probably all be aware of how effective cues are at teaching uh, skills to, to kids. So there's cues with all the skill games that you can use. And it's our intention to put out videos then of how to teach the skills. That's that'll probably be in the update. There's, thir there's 30 underage games. They're graded. So under sevens, there might be four or five. And the idea is uh, games that allow the kids to succeed. So whether you as the coach facilitated or there's a floater or an extra player to facilitate it, the games are kind of tailored from under sevens all the way up to under 13. So you only have like six or five or six games under sevens all the way up to 30 games. And you can use the games, you know, the under seven games, you can still use it under 13 kind of, you know. And then from the adult side of it, which we've graded under 15 up to adult, there's, there's, it's themed based on the fourth, the, we'd consider them these teams in possession in football, out of possession. I'd consider building a score, a separate part of football and set pieces. So there's around 90 games between those four kind of in football. And then in hurling, I'd, you'd have, I'd consider the teams in possession and out of possession and set pieces. And there's about 50 games of that. The idea of the site then is you can go through the site. There's animations that explain how each game works. There's a picture, there's written work. Then there's a little video animation using tactical pad. And you can find the games that you think would work the best, but you can then make a session. So it's like, it literally take you if you know the site well, take you five minutes to come up with a session. So as opposed to the hassle of sitting down, trying to draw up a session and then just not being bothered with it, it's trying to make it so easy for you to access good quality content that you could be fairly reasonably sure that you put together a fairly good session that you'd be able to implement uh, easily enough with a couple of other coaches. That, that was kind of the main idea was how can you make it so simple for someone in particular underage that they'll be able to look at their phone. You can send it to your fellow coaches if you've it done up. You can talk about it and like it'll be ready in five minutes. That was the main idea of the site was something that's simple, but still quality kind of. Excellent. Excellent. And go on, give the Twitter handle there and the website as well. It's www.gamesensecoaching.com and our Twitter handle is at GAA Sense. Lovely stuff. Stephen, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, nice. Stephen. That was brilliant. Best, best of luck with the uh, Sigerson uh, coming up. Yes. Paul, Paul and DCU might have something to say about it, but uh, I'm, I'm sure. DCU. DCU have our number. <laughs> um, and you're which minor? Are you with the minor footballers again next year? No, no. And Andrew Lane took them to the Munster final last year. We almost had you. We almost had you. Uh, no, no. Uh, I'm back with the I'm with the Limerick 14s and doing the 15s this year. Never, never stop learning. You know. Back down, back down, and keep going again. Yeah, yeah, you know yourself. Best way, best way to do it and the most enjoyable down there. Yeah. At least pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Excellent. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, lads. Thanks, thanks, thanks Take lads. care. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks. We are into season five now, so thanks to everyone who has listened so far. We would be grateful if you would take the time to give us a retweet on Twitter or just share it with your friends. It would also be great if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. We really appreciate it. Hope you all had a great week and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week, everybody.